0: Oh, man, welcome to Chi Alpha. It's great to be together. Man, it was so much fun last week to be at the Chi Alpha house, even though it didn't end up really icing like at all. You know, it's still fun, but it's, it's always really fun to be on campus. I think it's my favorite place to be when we come together, worship Jesus here on campus. It's a great time. Now, wasn't it great to hear from the De Havens last week? It, man, Zach and Nikki are incredible. They are such heroes to us. What a blessing to hear from them. Now, tonight, we're going to be returning to our series. We've been going through the semester. What's our series? That was really sick. That was good. That was impressive. Yeah, we're going through Acts. And uh, last time we talked about Acts, Trevor got us all the way through Acts chapter 4. If you guys recall that? Now, we're going to jump forward in Acts just a little bit. All right, so if you, if you read the beginning of Acts chapter 5, which will be the next section from where we left off, you the story of two people named Ananias and Sapphira. It's a pretty crazy story. We're not going to get into that one tonight. We're going to hear from Jason about that later. But we're going to go to the section after that in Acts 5. And in that section, we're going to see the apostles doing the things the apostles are just doing all the time in Acts, right? They're preaching the gospel. They're healing the sick, seeing miracles, seeing the Lord move, people set free and meeting Jesus, and the Lord's moving. It's awesome, but there's some people who aren't too happy about it, right? The Pharisees and the religious leaders, the religious authority of the day, are not excited about what the Lord is doing through these guys because it's a direct threat to their power, right? that makes sense? And so they're really mad, and so they're like, we need to deal with this, so they have the apostles arrested. And then that night they're in jail, and angels, literal angels, show up and open the prison doors. And they walk out, and the Pharisees find them on the street preaching again in the morning. And they're like, what? What happened? And so they're pretty flabbergasted, but they're like, well, let's arrest them again, I guess. So they send soldiers to arrest them, and that's where we're going to pick up. This is Acts chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 26. So Then the captain with the officers went and brought them. But not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone." For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Lord, would you speak to us tonight through your word? Let me pray, amen. amen. Now, there's a lot of pretty incredible things in this passage, right? I mean, first of all, like, look at the boldness of Peter and the apostles. Like, these guys arrest them twice, th- are threatening them, telling you told you to stop preaching, and they're threatening them, and what do they do? They immediately start preaching to the very guys who arrested them or are threatening them, right? And, I mean, there's a real danger here. Like, their lives are actually on the line. They're at risk. But their faith is that strong and the Holy Spirit's with them. We see at the end of this passage they're beaten and then they rejoice about it. Like, how many times do you hear about somebody getting whooped and then, you know, going home cheering? Like, "Woo, got whooped! That was awesome! But they esteem the name of Jesus so much... But they're full of joy to have been honored to suffer for him. But the thing I really want to focus on in this passage is this interesting thing that happens right here in the middle with this one guy, Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel is one of the Pharisees, right? And he's a pretty prominent Pharisee. He's pretty well known. Uh, He's considered a teacher of the law. He's held in high respect. And this group that he is like a leading figure in has been opposed to the church from the beginning, right? They've been opposed to Jesus, they've been opposed to his apostles, but here he redirects them even in the midst of their anger when they're like ready to kill these guys, he stops them and redirects them. And he makes an interesting observation here. So he points out this guy, Phaedus, and this other guy, Judas the Galilean, these guys are basically cult leaders, right? So they gain some small followings, kind of saying who who knows what they said. But these followings just disappeared as soon as they died, right? Like they're killed, and then all their followers run away, and that's it. And so he makes this incredible observation. He's a really, really smart guy, okay? And he makes this incredible observation that if this undertaking, if this thing, this church, if it's not from God, it'll fail. Just like these other things have failed. And you don't have to oppose it. You don't have to put all this energy and effort and you get all mad and upset, probably take years off your life. To oppose it. But if it is from God, then it doesn't really matter what you do, it won't fail. And he makes the incredibly intelligent observation, it's not wise to go against God, right? Seems like a pretty sharp guy. But for all of his intelligence and how wise this appears, he still missed it. He doesn't actually go far enough. Like, so what is Gamaliel actually advocating here? He's saying, let's just stay out of it. Let's just not get involved. He's basically advocating for neutrality. Is anybody that person in your family, like your siblings are fighting and you're just like, I'm going to go to another room and just stay out of it? Now, this idea of neutrality is one we see throughout history. Basically, as long as conflict has existed, so has the idea of neutrality, of like, I don't really want to be in this conflict, so I'm going to stay out of it. We tend to see this happening with with countries and wars. A pretty prominent example was, you know, in 1939, World War II broke out in Europe. And you know what America's approach to that was? We're good. I'm going to stay out. You guys, Europeans, you guys do your thing. See, what had happened was just a couple decades before this, was World War I, which at the time was called the Great War. You, know, you don't call something World War I if there hasn't been a sequel, you know what I mean? That, that came later. So that time they called it the Great War. And the world was still deeply feeling the effects of this war. You see, over the last few decades, technology had evolved so much, war had changed to the point that it was way more devastating than anything the world had ever seen. And in World War I, there were between 8 and 10 million soldiers killed. That's a lot of people. On top of that, another 20 million plus were wounded. Now, 100,000 of these soldiers who were killed were Americans, and another 200,000 Americans had been wounded. And this has a huge impact on a country. This was unheard of devastation, and the American people were exhausted. They'd just gone through the Great Depression, coming out of this war. There was a whole generation of young men that had been decimated by this war. And they're dealing with the consequences of this and the ramifications of this. So the generation before them had been decimated by this war and then it led to the Great Depression and all these things and the American people are like, we do not want to go down this road again. We do not want this. And so war starts flaring up in Europe and by and large the American people are like, not interested. And so America held a strict policy of neutrality. Like we're going to stay neutral, we're not going to be involved, we're going to let them fight this out. We're going to do our own thing on this side of the ocean until December 7th, 1941 when the Japanese Navy launched a surprise attack on the American naval base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and killed more than 2,400 Americans. And just days after this attack, Nazi Germany officially declared war on the United States. So the United States entered World War II. Couldn't stay neutral anymore. And they fought a long and bloody conflict and ultimately came out on the winning side of that war. Now, here we see Gamaliel in a similar position. He wants to remain neutral. He wants to stay out of it. Like, let's not be in the middle of this. But he missed it. He says, you know, if this thing is not from God, it'll fail. We don't need to worry about it. But If it is from God, we can't stop it. But the thing is, if it's from God, you don't want to just be not stopping it. You want to be in it. And the reality is that there is no neutrality with Jesus. There is no middle ground. You can't ride the fence. You can't be neutral with him. You're either on the side of Jesus or you're against him. And I mean, look at the Pharisees like they're like, okay, yeah, we should be neutral. So they beat them and tell them not to it's like that doesn't really sound that neutral, right? But the reality is you're either on Jesus' side or you're on the world's side and there's no in between. And Jesus himself said it like this in Matthew 12, 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. The Pharisees could not be neutral. And we can't be neutral with Jesus either. We have to take a look at the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at the history of his death, his burial, his resurrection. All the things he said and did. Look at the alarming explosion of the church after his ascension. The church that has never died, that has not failed, where the 2,000 years later. We have to make a choice about him. Now, a lot of people in this world want to be neutral. They want to sit in the middle, ride the fence, say things like, yeah, Jesus is cool. He said some good stuff. Like, yeah, I think, you know, he's a good teacher, you know. But we don't want to give them our life. We don't want to let them call the shots. Have you read the Gospels? Do you know the things that Jesus said? Have you read the things that He said? Like, I feel like a lot of people out there just think He he said, you know, be nice to each other or something like that. Well, let's look at some of the things Jesus said because He said some pretty remarkable things. Luke 10 17 through 20 says, the 72, this is His followers, returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Did you catch that? Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Like, did you hear what he said there? Like, what? You saw Satan fall like lightning? Like what does that even mean? I mean, who would claim that? What person would say, Yeah, I saw Satan fall? It was like lightning. It's crazy. Who would say something like that? What great teacher would say something like that? Here's another one. John eight, fifty six to fifty eight. Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham? Like, that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this, right? Jesus is like 30. And when he says, I am, you know what that is? That's the name of God that was given to Moses in the burning bush. There's no ambiguity about this. He was saying, I am God, and I'm the one who spoke to Abraham. And the Jews know it because they try to kill him immediately after he says this. No good teacher would claim something like that. No good person would say something like that. In Matthew 9, he tells the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins? And this is how he follows it up. In verse 5, for which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. I mean, what good person did things like that? Said things like that? What teacher said things like that? Think of all the great moral teachers, all the esteemed Intelligent people who've taught people throughout the centuries. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Socrates, Aristotle, not Gandhi. No one said things like that or did things like that. You see, Jesus claimed to be God over and over and over and over again. It was constant with him. And everything he said pointed to it and all of his teaching hinges on it. You can't take some of the things that he said, some of his teaching, and try to separate it out He's not just a teacher. And his teachings come with a cost. Now, C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, put it this way. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claims to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man... But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is not a teacher. He wasn't just a man. And you cannot be neutral with him. There's no middle ground. He's either exactly who he said he was, or he was a crazy person who thought he was God but wasn't, Or he was a liar. If he is who he said he was, we don't have a lot of options when it comes to Jesus. You either bow or you reject him. Look at his life. I mean, look at him. Read the Gospels. Look at his life. No one spoke with authority like this. No one did things like this. No one lived like this man. I mean, he certainly wasn't evil, and he doesn't seem crazy. That doesn't leave us with a lot of options. And then take what Gamaliel says here. If this thing is of man, it'll fail. But if it's of God, you can't stop it. Let's take a second and just look at at that. Let's look at this movement that came from Jesus. The fact of the matter is you're sitting in this room today because it didn't fail. It's 2,000 years later, and the organized church still marches on. From the time Jesus rose, the church has never ceased. There have always been people praising his name, always been people encountering him, always been people whose lives are transformed. There's been times where the organized church, the powers that be over it, maybe lost their way, where the church got a little bloated and corrupt. I mean, you see the Middle Ages, there's these things called indulgences. And a lot of things that were very unbiblical. And see, the thing is, when you look at history and you look at any group, an organization, a, any entity that gets bloated and corrupted, the same thing always happens it dies. But the church didn't, it roared back to life like a fire from ashes. That's what the Reformation was. There is this radical move against one of the biggest powers in the world at the time to correct it. That doesn't happen unless there's actually a God behind it, guiding it. I mean, look at the people around you tonight in this room. Have you asked your small group leader how they met Jesus, what their story is? I think a lot of us have seen him moving this semester, this year. He's still here. He's still moving. And this thing has not failed. And generation after generation, there have been men who have come against the church and come against the Bible and come against Jesus. And generation after generation, the gospel has gone forth. Lives have been changed. And we see the end of this story in Revelation. And our God is victorious. There is no middle ground with Jesus. There is no room to ride the fence. There's no neutrality. We're either with Him or we're against Him. That's it. Either you were for Jesus or you were against Jesus. And we have to make a choice. We have to honestly look at Him. To look at all of this. We have to make a choice about him. And there comes a time in all of our lives where Jesus looks at us, just like he did with Peter. He says, who do you say that I am? And we have to give him an answer. Who do we say that Jesus is? Is he who he said he was? God. Or is he not? If he's who he said he was, we don't have any choices but to bow to him or to go against God. You know, in World War II, the U.S. tried to stay neutral. We tried to stay out of it, but ultimately the war came to us. And ultimately the reality is, when we look back at history, that war needed to be fought. Now, there's been a lot of wars in history that didn't need to be fought. There's been plenty of wars in American history that probably didn't need to be fought, but that one did. There is an evil going forth in Nazi Germany that had to be stopped. This evil, the Nazis, Hitler, you know, this actually comes from a secular philosophy. From the words of a man named Friedrich Nietzsche, who declared that God is dead. He said, you know, we for a long time, humanity's not understood things, and we needed something to, to put things on, something to help prop us up. And that's what God was, but we don't need him anymore. God's dead. That didn't go so good for Nietzsche. Now, Nietzsche was against Jesus, and he was wrong. And his words led to Hitler, who killed millions and millions of people in pursuit of the things Nietzsche said. He said, you know, humanity is going to transcend. We don't need God anymore, and we're going to achieve the next level, the superman, the better man. And power is its own end. And so that's what the Holocaust was about. Hitler pursuing the Superman, the superior race, and killing millions. And this evil threatened to sweep over the entire world. But the U.S. was instrumental in stopping it. The reality is, if you actually look at history, it's kind of crazy. Like, it probably should have swept over the whole world. Like, the only reason that Germany lost the war is because Hitler made some really uncharacteristically unintelligent decisions. It's kind of like there's somebody whose hand is on history. Now, when the U.S. entered the war, declared war, President Roosevelt said this. He said, we are now in this war. We are all in it. All the way. And America and the rest of the world paid a very, very high price to stop this evil. The most devastating war the world has ever seen. But here's the reality, friends. There's a bigger war going on right now. And there is a bigger evil out there than Nazi Germany. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a real war happening, a spiritual war, and it's all around us. And we have an enemy, and he is not idle. He is not sitting back, and he's an evil beyond anything on this earth. And we are called to fight against him if we are in Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't a teacher looking for an audience to gather. He's a king seeking to raise an army to go forth for him. And we are called to fight alongside him in this war. And that is who we are as Kaiyafa. That's who we're called to be. We're not an audience. We're an army. a salvation army of the cross following Jesus led by a king and a kingdom far better than America or anything this world's ever known. And King Jesus has come to set the captives free, to give life and life abundant, and we are called to go with him. And you cannot ride the fence. His chosen method of reaching this world, of reaching this campus, is you and me. He left 12 men and some other followers. They said, you go and you make disciples. And they did. And the reality is you were either for Jesus or you were against him. we got to look at him and make a choice. Who do you say that I am? Because if he's God, that means something. That's going to have an impact on our lives. Being for Jesus doesn't just mean like I mentally assent, like, all right, yeah, I believe. I believe you're who you say you are. And I go on living my life as if he wasn't. Christianity is not a belief that doesn't cost anything. And being for Jesus means taking up your cross and following after Him. It means bowing because He's King. Death to myself, it means enlisting in this war. Being a part of the army of Jesus. There's no stopping We're either for Him or we're against Him. You know, it's pretty good to be on the winning side. The reality is, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to say, okay, yeah, Jesus is who He said He was. He is God. He is Lord. And we have to be in, all the way in, fully committed. There's no middle ground. Are we following Jesus? Are we with him? Are we for him? It's anything less than full commitment and full involvement is being against Jesus. There's no middle ground. And Gamaliel sounds really smart and really wise in what he says, but he didn't bow to Jesus and he didn't crown him as king, and it wasn't enough. And ultimately, we look at the Pharisees, we look at the history of what happened with them. They were against Jesus. And Gamaliel said, if this thing isn't from God, it'll fail. And the Pharisees failed. And we don't really talk about them anymore. But the church did not. And we're here today. And Jesus is moving today. And the Holy Spirit's here. And he wants to know you and walk with you. Are we with Jesus or are we against him? The apostles here, they said, we must obey God rather than men. Do we obey Jesus? Do we let Him call the shots? Do we live like, you know, I know you said this thing's wrong, Jesus. I know you say this is sinful, but I want it, so I'm going to do it anyway. Are the things we're pursuing, things that, he's told us to pursue? Have we asked him what he thinks about them? Do we treat him like he's king or an advisor? When he makes commands we have to obey because he's king. He's a good king. He's a king who loves you so much that he gave up his throne and came down to earth and died on a cross for you. He's worth following. We obey Jesus. in one of those commands that he gave to all of us Let's go and make disciples of all nations. That's why Zach and Nikki DeHaven have left their home and everything they've known to go to the Middle East and serve the King Jesus who's worth it. We're obeying Him. Now all around us every day on this campus where we're sitting right now, the enemy is moving. And we're surrounded by people, classmates, who Jesus loves, who He died for, who He deserves, who don't know Him, and a lot of whom are living in open rebellion against Him. But he deserves them. And we are his answer to that problem. What are we gonna do about it? Are we an army? Or are we just a bunch of bunts, a bunch of butts and seats? Are we gonna go forth and do the work of our king? Are we in? Are we all in? All the way. Are we for Jesus? Or are we against him? Who do you say that I am? There's no riding the fence. There's no middle ground. Worship team, you can go ahead and make your way back up as we move towards a close. You know, for some of us, maybe we've been around a while. Maybe a whole semester now, a more. Maybe even longer. Some of us, we've been hearing things, and they kind of resonate. We've been seeing things happen around us. We've seen people's lives actually change. People meet Jesus. But we haven't wanted to actually give our lives to him. We need to make a decision. You're either with him or you're against him. You can't just show up and think, you know, Jesus and I were cool, whatever. That's not how it works with the king. Who do you say that I am? Some of us tonight need to bow our hearts to Jesus and give him our lives because we know he is who he said he was, and he's worth it. A lot of us have met Jesus maybe this year, maybe a couple years ago. We've seen him move in our lives. But are we soldiers? Marching with our king? Are we ready to engage with the spiritual war on our campus and all around us? To intercede for our classmates, to fight to make Jesus' name known? Are we ready to fall at his feet and say, Lord, command me I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. It means talking to my classmates about you, sharing what you're doing in my life, maybe bringing them to small group or Chi Alpha, definitely praying for them. I'll do it. Are we living as if Jesus is king? Are we ready to enlist going to meet with Jesus tonight. We're going to ask Him to show us exactly what He's calling us to. And we're going to bow to Him. Say, Lord, have Your way. Now, worship team's going to lead us in a song, and as they do, I want you to meet with Jesus. You can come down to the front, find a space, old school altar style. You can find room on the side. You can just sit where you are, but wherever you are, let's meet with Jesus. Let's let Him speak to us. I think for some of us, he wants to ask that question tonight, who do you say that I am? For some of us, it's time to, make, to answer him and to start living like he's king. Let's meet with Jesus. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you that you came for us while we were still sinners, Jesus. You didn't have to leave your throne, but you did, and you came for us, and you you loved us, and you died for us, Jesus. And God, we recognize that you're not just a man, and you're not just a teacher, and the things you said aren't just neat things. But you are the king of the universe, and you are worth our lives, and we bow to you, Jesus. Would you speak to us tonight, and would you have your way in us? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's meet with our king.